Hi, this is Puritans Read, where we read aloud great Puritan works, authors, and biographies. Today, episode 33 of The Life of David Brainerd by Jonathan Edwards. October 24, discoursed from John 4, 13 to 14. There was a great attention, a desirable affection, and an unaffected melting in the assembly. It is surprising to see how eager they are to hear the word of God. I oftentimes thought that they would cheerfully and diligently attend divine worship 24 hours together if they had an opportunity so to do. October 25. Discoursed to my people respecting the resurrection from Luke 20, 27-36. When I came to mention the blessedness the godly shall enjoy at that season, their final freedom from death, sin, and sorrow, their equality to the angels in their nearness to and enjoyment of Christ, some imperfect degree of which they are favored with in this present life, from whence springs their sweetest comfort, and their being the children of God, openly acknowledged by him as such, many of them were much affected and melted with a view of this blessed state. October 26, being called to assist in the administration of the Lord's Supper in a neighboring congregation, I invited my people to go with me. They, in general, embraced the opportunity cheerfully and attended the several discourses of this solemnity with diligence and affection, most of them now understanding something of the English language. Lord's Day, October 27. While I was preaching to a vast assembly of people abroad who appeared generally easy and secure, there was one Indian woman, a stranger, who never had heard me preach before, nor ever regarded anything about religion, who, having been now persuaded by some of her friends to come to meeting, though much against her will, was seized with distressing concern for her soul, and soon after expressed a great desire of going home, more than 40 miles distant, to call her husband, that he also might be awakened to a concern for his soul. Some others of the Indians appeared to be affected with divine truth this day. The pious people of the English numbers of whom I had opportunity to converse with, seemed refreshed with seeing the Indians worship God in that devout and solemn manner with the assembly of his people. And with those mentioned in Acts 11.18, they could not but glorify God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life preached again in the afternoon to a great assembly, at which time some of my people appeared affected, and when public worship was over, were inquisitive, 
whether there would not be another sermon in the evening or before the solemnity of the Lord's Supper was concluded, being still desirous to hear God's word. October 28, Discoursed from Matthew 22, 1 through 13. I was enabled to open the scriptures and adapt my discourse and expression to the capacities of my people, I know not how. In a plain, easy, and familiar manner, beyond all that I could have done by the utmost study, and this without any special difficulty, yea, with as much freedom as if I had been addressing a common audience who had been instructed in the doctrines of Christianity all their days. The word of God at this time seemed to fall upon the assembly with a divine power and influence. Especially toward the close of my discourse, there was both a sweet melting and bitter mourning in the audience. The dear Christians were refreshed and comforted. Convictions revived in others, and several persons newly awakened who had never been with us before. So much of the divine presence appeared in the assembly that it seemed this was no other than the house of God and the gate of heaven. All who had any savor and relish of divine things were even constrained by the sweetness of that season to say, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If ever there was among my people an appearance of the new Jerusalem as a bride adorned for her husband, there was much of it at this time, and so agreeable was the entertainment where such tokens of the divine presence were that I could scarcely be willing in the evening to leave the place and repair to my lodgings. I was refreshed with a view of the continuance of this blessed work of grace among them and with its influence upon, upon strangers among the Indians, who had of late, from time to time, providentially come into this part of the country. Lord's Day, November 3rd, preached to my people from Luke sixteen seventeen, And it is easier for heaven and earth, etc. More especially for the sake of several lately brought under deep concern for their souls. There was some apparent concern and affection in the assembly, though far less than has been usual of late. On this day, six of the Indians made a profession of their faith. One of these was a woman near fourscore years of age. Two of the others were men 50 years old, who had been singular and remarkable among the Indians for their wickedness. One of them had been a murderer, and both notorious drunkards as well as excessively quarrelsome. But now I cannot but hope that both of them have become subjects of God's special grace. I kept them back for many weeks after they had given evidence of having passed a great change 
that I might have more opportunities to observe the fruits of the impressions which they had been under, and apprehended the way was now clear to admit them to the ordinances. November 4. Discoursed from John 11, briefly explaining most of the chapter, divine truth made deep impressions upon many in the assembly. Numbers were affected with a view of the power of Christ manifested in his raising the dead, and especially when this instance of his power was improved to show his ability to raise dead souls, such as many of them felt themselves to be, to a spiritual life, as also to raise the dead at the last day and dispense to them rewards and punishments. There were numbers of those who had come here lately from remote places who were now brought under deep and pressing concern for their souls. One in particular, who not long since came half drunk and railed on us and attempted by all means to disturb us while engaged in divine worship, was now so concerned and distressed for her soul that she seemed unable to get any ease without an interest in Christ. There were many tears and affectionate sobs and groans in the assembly in general, some weeping for themselves, others for their friends. Although persons are doubtless much more easily affected now than they were in the beginning of this religious concern, when tears and cries for their souls were things unheard of among them, yet I must say that their affection in general appeared genuine and unfeigned, and especially this appeared very conspicuous in those newly awakened, so that true and genuine convictions of sin seem still to be begun and promoted in many instances. Twenty-three of the Indians in all have now professed their faith in Christ. Most of them belong to this region, a few to the forks of Delaware. Through rich grace, none of them as yet have been left to disgrace their profession by any scandalous or unbecoming behavior. <clears throat> I might now properly make many remarks on a work of grace so very remarkable as this has been in various respects, but shall confine myself to a few general hints only. Number one, it is remarkable that God began this work among the Indians at a time when I had the least hope and to my apprehension, the least rational prospect of seeing a work of grace propagated among them, my bodily strength being then much wasted by a late, tedious journey to the Susquehanna, when I was necessarily exposed to hardships and fatigues among the Indians, my mind being also exceedingly depressed with a view of the unsuccessfulness of my labors, I had little reason 
so much as to hope that God had made me instrumental in the saving conversion of any of the Indians except my interpreter and his wife. Hence, I was ready to look upon myself as a burden to the society which employed and supported me in this business and began to entertain serious thoughts of giving up my mission and almost resolved I would do so at the conclusion of the present year if I had then no better prospect of success in my work than I had hitherto had. I cannot say that I entertained these thoughts because I was weary of the labors and fatigues which necessarily attended my present business, or because I had light and freedom in my own mind to turn any other way, but purely through dejection of spirit, pressing discouragement, and an apprehension of its being unjust to spend money consecrated to religious uses, only to civilize the Indians and bring them to an external profession of Christianity. This was all which I could then see any prospect of effecting, while God seemed, as I thought, evidently to frown upon the design of their saving conversion by withholding the convincing and renewing influences of his blessed spirit from attending the means which I had hitherto used with them for that end. In this frame of mind, I first visited these Indians at Crossweeksum, apprehending that it was my indispensable duty, seeing I had heard there was a number in these parts, to make some attempts for their conversion to God, though I cannot say I had any hope of success, my spirits being now so extremely sunk. I do not know that my hopes respecting the conversion of the Indians were ever reduced to so low an ebb since I had any special concern for them as at this time. Yet, this was the very season in which God saw fit to begin this glorious work. Thus, he ordained strength out of weakness by making bare his almighty arm at a time when hopes and human probabilities most evidently appear to fail. Whence I learn that it is good to follow the path of duty, though in the midst of darkness and discouragement. This concludes episode 33 of Jonathan Edwards, The Life of David Brainerd.